morning. Good morning. Great to see you in the house of the Lord today. Let's stand together and begin our time of worship together with all hail the power of Jesus' name. All hail the power of Jesus' name.
people said today? Amen. God bless you. Let's pray together as we begin worship. Almighty God, what a joy to be in this place today. What an honor to, to sing to you, uh, to sing about your lordship, your kingship, to understand for you to be king of our lives that we personally have to crown you as such. So we declare that today. Jesus, you are our king. You are the king of kings. You're our Lord. You're the Lord of lords. And we thank you so much that you have loved us so much that, that you came to this earth, left the glories of heaven, paid the price for our sins so that we might be saved, so that we could be with you someday forever. Father, today's a big day, and we ask that your spirit flow and rain down upon us. God, what a joy it is to be back home, and I thank you for the privilege of being back today, Lord, full of energy and excited about the things that you have for us. So, God, we, we turn our cup over, we ask you just to fill it up to overflowing. Father, we open ourselves to you, and we ask you to come in and, and, and reign in our lives. Father, be with us as we sing and as your word is spoken. Father, may everything that's done in this place be pleasing to you. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. You may be seated. It is good uh, to be here today. Uh, many of you notice I have some new um, glasses on my face, and that's what happens when you get older, right? At least that's what my kids tell me. And, um, and so these are permanent now. This is not a style choice. This is a necessity. And so if, if you see me kind of pawing my way down the stairs, uh, these are trifocals. I can barely even see. I'm dizzy half the time. I'm sick to my stomach, but man... Uh, do I ever see great? And y'all look wonderful. But, uh, but no, it's great to be here this morning. If you are a longtime church member, what a joy it is to be a part of this church family. We celebrate you. If you're our guest today, we welcome you to our church. We're so thankful that you are here. And we pray that what happens in your life today in the presence of God, um, worshiping with us and being encouraged among us, that you'll choose to be a part of this church family. Uh, there is a guest card. We ask you to, to take that out of the pew in front of you. Please fill that out. We cannot ask that strong enough. If we don't have a chance to follow up with you, we can't get to know you like we want to. And so I hope that you'll take that. If you have a smartphone, you can also go to our church's website, fbccana.org. Um, click on the guest or visitor button, and you can do all the same things there. Uh, we just want a record of your visit. Uh, the big news today, really, in my opinion, is what's going to happen here tonight at 6 p.m. I hope that you're making plans to be with us for the Take America Back to God event. Uh, we have the privilege of hosting uh, what's going to be just a gathering of Christians all across this area. We believe the only hope for the United States is Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen to that. And um, there's going to be a lot of joy in this place. Many have asked me, Pastor, is this a political rally? No. It's a revival. It's a revival because we understand that our country needs what we have. We have found hope in Jesus, and we want to declare that to our world and our culture. And um, I have the privilege of being the, of the preacher tonight. I'm in my own pulpit. That's exciting to be able to do that. Uh, we understand it's going to be a capacity crowd, uh, so don't wait um, to get here. If you want to sit in your favorite pew, you're going to have to get here early to get it, all right? But let me say this, if you walk into this room and somebody else is sitting in your spot, be nice, okay? <laughs> be nice, be nice, and just be loving. 
and let's welcome. We have greeters all prepared. There's a huge fellowship prepared afterwards. Uh, we've got parking attendants. We've got permission from Verabank. Um, also, the Episcopal Church next door, uh, the grocery stores across the street. We can park in any of these places, and my understanding is we're going to need that. And so please uh, make preparation to be here for all of that. Doors open at 5. Uh, the event starts at 6. It's going to be a great blessing. I, I hope that you will come. Uh, you've already greeted one another, and so I will not ask you to do that again, although that would be fun to see who you went to this time. But no, thank you for being in church today. God bless you. Let's worship the Lord with our whole hearts. And if you are able to walk from one of those further parking lots, uh, we uh, request that you do that and save room for other folks uh, that come later if you're an early comer this evening. And going along with the theme of today and this evening, the choir has a great song. It's entitled, If God is for us, who can be against us?
Amen. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was given the name above all names. Stand with me and join us as we sing a medley of great songs about the wonderful matchless name of Jesus, beginning with Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Bow down. 
the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and in earth, at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and in earth, that every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that name. Master, Master, Savior, Jesus, like the fragrance after the rain. Jesus, Jesus, oh Jesus, let all heaven and earth proclaim kings and kingdoms shall all pass away but there's something about that name sing that last phrase kings and kingdoms shall all pass Kings and kingdoms, amen, shall all pass away. But there's something about that name. Somebody say amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, there is something about the wonderful matchless name of Jesus. Father, when we call on your name, we know that you hear us. Father, there is power and strength in the name of Jesus. It's the sweetest name that we know. Father, we pray that you would fill this place. We feel your presence already, Father. We lift up our pastor as he comes today to preach your word. 
Father, that you would open our ears and our hearts and minds to hear what you would have us to say this morning. Father, pray that we would take your name with us out of this place today, into the world, into our workplace, into our homes, every place that we go, that people would see you and us. Father, we thank you for being in this place today. We pray that it's been pleasing to you, our worship today. Father, bless our time together. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. 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 Be seated. God bless you again, and thank you so much for being here today. Those that came in after our welcome earlier, we welcome you to First Baptist. We welcome you to worship today. One thing that I did not mention earlier is a big event that happened in the life of our student minister yesterday. We all know that Tim has been counting down the days for he and Brittany to get married, and that did take place last night. There are several of us that got to be there And so we celebrate with them as they begin their honeymoon and look forward to celebrating and and I'm just recognizing them next Sunday. It's going to be a lot of fun to to share that with them. Well, I want to begin today with a sentence that I really want us to think about. And here it is that there is probably nothing sadder and more disappointing than someone who refuses to get out of the boat. There is nothing sadder or more disappointing than someone who refuses to get out of the boat. Now, you may already put it all together that my thinking when I come to a sentence and a conclusion like that is connected to a sermon that I preached two weeks ago. We were on the precipice of Vacation Bible School, and what a great VBS it was. I didn't get to be here to love on you, Kathy, last week, and we are so proud of you And I'm proud of you as a church for all that you did. But we were on the precipice of guiding our kids through a study on Peter's life. The Apostle Peter, the fisherman named Simon, who became that incredible leader of the early church. And and two Sundays ago, I took out of that series that we were about to offer to our kids this incredible moment when the disciples were in a boat in the middle of the night on the Sea of Galilee. And there comes Jesus to them walking on the water. And the incredible part of the story is that he commands every single one of them to leave the boat, but only one does, that was Peter, but the rest, they just sat there. And therefore, I think it's easy to ascertain from that that there's nothing sadder or more disappointing than somebody who refuses to get out of the boat. Now, as I said, I want us to go back today to that story that we studied two weeks ago. It's found in Matthew chapter 14, if you want to go ahead and grab your Bible. But you can tell that I have not stopped thinking about Jesus Christ walking on the water. I found myself reading the story over and over again. I preached on it once, and here I am again. However, this time, I'm not just going to preach a message. I'm actually going to begin a short little sermon series because I think there are some things in this particular story that God wants to teach us, and the sermon series is going to be titled, Get Out of the Boat. Now, the sermon today is a little more creative, and here's the sermon title today. I'm simply calling this sermon, boat potatoes. Now you say, pastor, where in the world did that come from? Well, I think in our lives, we've known some people who are what? 
couch potatoes, and we know what that term means. It refers to people who just are lazy, sitting around, sitting on the couch, eating their potato chips. They refuse to get up and do anything, and I think the disciples are in that exact same vein. They are boat potatoes, so I want to read about them again this morning in Matthew chapter 14, beginning in verse 22. Let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Um, a powerful story in the life of Christ, the life of Peter, Jesus walking on the water, and here's how it reads. It says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray, and when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on the water and he came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Today it's my prayer as we fire into this little sermon series that we would grasp again and again and again what true faith in Jesus looks like, how we have to take a chance in order to follow Jesus. We have to get out of the boat. God bless you. Let's go ahead and be seated. Now, I want to dive right into the message today, and I want to place the bullseye squarely on the disciples who stayed in the boat. And I want to see these guys for who they were. And so you ask today, Pastor, who were they? Well, these are the people who weren't willing to take a risk. These were the kind of people who were willing to watch the adventure of faith from the sidelines. They were just the people who came to church casually from time to time, but they never really decided to radically follow Jesus. They were willing to be passed by, even by the God who called them. Yes, they understood the cost of getting out of the boat. That was easy for them to understand. The cost was failure and embarrassment and inadequacy and criticism and maybe even danger in drowning. But the thing I don't think they understood was the cost of staying in the boat. So what was the cost of staying in the boat on that night? What's the cost of not choosing to follow Jesus when he calls you? Well, the answer is growth. The cost that you pay for not choosing to follow Jesus when he calls your name is growth. Now, I want to ask you today, how many of you this morning are attracted to growth? 
the answer is I'm assuming all of us because it's really a natural part of humanity. The disciples were attracted to it, and we are too. Let me help you understand. We plant tomato, spring, uh, tomato plants in the spring, and we love to watch them grow. Uh, our plants freeze back in the winter, and then we love to watch them come back in the spring again. We landscape our yards. We love to watch it grow. We have babies, and we love to watch them grow. Did you realize, by the way, the average newborn triples its weight in the first year of life? That's a fact. Now, aren't you glad that that doesn't continue as those babies move on? Because statistics tell us they would be 480 pounds on average by the time they were four years old. But regardless, right, we love to watch things grow. Now, on the other side, there's nothing more sad than stagnation. Take a middle-aged man whose drive to make a mark in the world has been sacrificed to a lazy boy, a remote control, and a flickering television screen. Maybe on a larger scale, take the Dead Sea. Some of us in this room have been there, and it may be cool to float in the Dead Sea, but the truth is you can float there for one reason, and the reason is stagnation. You see, there is not one living thing in the Dead Sea. We love to watch growth. You see, there's a high cost for staying in the boat. There's a high cost for not realizing your potential. There's a a very high cost when a person sets on opportunities that God gives them. So now I think you understand why I begin the sermon the way I do and why I say there's probably nothing sadder, more disappointing than someone who refuses to get out of the boat and radically follow Jesus Christ. You see, the remaining disciples, apart from Peter, were setting on the opportunity of a lifetime. They had chosen to be boat potatoes. Now, it's interesting, we establish all that, and then we say, so what? Well, the answer to the so what question is, I think Jesus has something to say about this issue. And I don't know if you remember the story that he told, but Jesus told a story about setting on opportunities, and it's called the parable of the talents. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to flip over there, you can certainly do so. But I'm just going to tell you the story and remind ourselves of it today. And here's how the story goes as Jesus told it. He says that there is a master who's going away on a trip. And as he leaves on the trip, he decides to give unto his servants, and there were three of them. The first, he gives five talents. To the second one, he gives two talents. To the third, he gives one talent. And then he departs on his trip, and he trusts that they will make investment with what he's placed in their hands. Well, the first one does exactly that. He takes those five talents, he puts them to good use, he earns five more talents. To the second one, who received just two talents, he did the exact same thing. He invests his two talents, he returns with two more, now he has four, he's done a good thing. But the third one is filled with fear doesn't know exactly what to do. He wants to make sure the talent the master has given them is safe and secure in his hands so the master will be so proud when he comes back. And so he digs a hole, Jesus says in the story, and he just puts it in there for safekeeping. So the master comes home. He goes to his first servant. What have you done with what I've given you, he basically asks. And he says, Master, you gave me Five, now I have ten, and the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. Now I'll entrust you with more. 
He goes to the second one. Master, you gave me two. I earned two more. Now I have four. Well done, good and faithful servant. Now I will entrust you with even more. And then he goes to the third, who's proud as punch, that he's protected the one opportunity, the one talent, the one gift. And he digs it out of the hole and says, Master, here's what I've got. Aren't you so proud of me? And the master in the story says, you evil, wicked servant. And it closes with him saying, you'll be cast out where there's the darkness and the gnashing of teeth. So I think Jesus, don't you agree, has something to say about the issue that we see in the story today. And here are the questions, I think, that the parable brings to us why do people like us set on our opportunities why do people hear god calling and they choose to never trust him in faith and follow him why do people let's be honest choose to be boat potatoes even today you see if we begin to dig into the parable we learn that there are three things in this story that have everything to do with the episode on the Sea of Galilee and everything to do with our lives even still now. And here's the first thing we have to see out of the parable, that Jesus is the master. He's the one who's giving the gifts. And I think we have to grasp that. In the story, let's translate it over, Jesus is the master. He's the one who went on the trip. He's the one who gave out the talents. He does it in the story, but he also does it in our lives. So let's talk about the term talent. Pastor, what does that mean? In the story, interestingly enough, if you read the original language, a talent refers to a sum of money worth in the neighborhood of 15 years wages. How much would you make in your prime, right, if you work for a straight 15 years? Well, let's just say this. It's a big chunk of change right? It's a big chunk of change. That's what the master invests in the servants. The CEO, the master, is showing unprecedented trust and generosity, and for the servant, it's the chance of a lifetime. So what are the servants going to do? Because the chance of a lifetime isn't something that you just take lightly. But now you see the story reflects back on us. The story is ours, What talent has God given you? What has God placed in your hands? What word could be substituted in the place of the word talent in your life? Would it be your mind? Did Jesus and God, the master, give you a good mind? Would it be your abilities, your spiritual gifts, your body, your money, your opportunities? And really the question is, what are you going to do with what God has given And now to go even deeper, has God given you the chance of a lifetime and you're just sitting on it? Has he called you to get out of the boat and you're just sitting there? Let me speak the truth that God has laid on my heart. Church family, we have to come to prize and appreciate 
the gifts that God has given to us. We have to hear his voice and we have to respond at once when he calls our name. We just can't bury it. We just can't set on it and expect to be pleasing to Jesus. So we see in the story that Jesus is the master. He's the one who gave it all to you and me. So the second thing, Jesus is the Lord of the settled account. Now, this is the interesting part of the parable because the third servant seems to forget that the master is coming back. And that's really part of the problem. He forgets that the master is going to come back and settle the accounts. He forgets, let's put it in this vernacular, that he's accountable. And I'm afraid many of us do the same thing. After all, the master's gone, and he's been gone a long time. And we think we can just ride it out. We think that we can just lounge and take it easy in the boat. No one will ever know, right? We think we can bury God's opportunities in the alley, and we'll never be called on the carpet someday. So we just make up excuses. Well, I would follow Jesus, but my boss holds me back, right? I would pursue his will, but I need to have money and security. I would devote myself to spiritual growth, but I just can't find the time. Yeah, I would be there to lead the way at the church, but I just won't want to give up my habit. So we start playing what Susan Jeffers calls the win-then game. Have you ever heard of the win-then game? When I make more money, I'll give more to the church. When my spouse is more supportive, then I'll grow. When this storm passes, I certainly will be back at that church doing my part. And you know what God says to that? Hogwash. You can wait your whole life for a win that never comes. So let me be honest with us today. You've been given a gift. Every one of us in this room, we're the servants I don't know how many talents, how many gifts that God's placed in your hands, but you've been given a gift. And it may not look like much, but it's yours. And the master friend, he is coming back. And he's going to settle up with all the pastors. He's going to settle up with all the CEOs. He's going to settle up with all the presidents and the ranchers and the mothers and the fathers and the bankers and the teachers. And put your name in there. He's going to settle up with you and me. And he's going to ask the question, what did you do with what I gave you? You see, potential water walkers become boat potatoes because they rationalize why they've buried their gift. But we have to remember that Jesus is the Lord of the settled account. The third thing, the exciting part of the story, Jesus is also the Lord of the reward. Jesus is also the Lord of the reward. Because in the story, the master celebrates the servants who stewarded and invested the talents. And when you get into the particular um, verbiage of the story, here's what the master says. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. His reward is not some fluffy cloud or a limousine ride in the sky. That's not it at all. His reward is being more involved, more in step, more deeply ingrained to the mission of the master than ever before. 
And here's my question. Do you realize that nothing's greater than that? To be more in step with God. To be more involved. There's nothing more satisfying than being overwhelmingly involved in the mission of the kingdom of God. And if you question that today, and I'm sure there's some who might, just ask anyone who's ever gone on a mission trip and ask them how great it was to be a part of the work of God. Ask anybody who was deeply engaged in vacation Bible school, they'll tell you, hey, I was tired, but it was a good kind of tired. It was the best I ever felt. Ask anybody who's ever had a chance to lead somebody to faith in Jesus Christ. I'll never forget a teenager that I had in my youth group years ago in Mark, Texas. And I always think it's odd that I served at First Baptist Mark and then the Lord takes me away to South Texas and then back to Corsicana, just right down the road, right? But I was a student minister in Mark, Texas at First Baptist Church. And I'll never forget a student I had there. Her name was Casey LaRue. We saw Casey give her life to Christ. She was a brand new Christian. And so we went on a mission trip to Gallup, New Mexico. All right, this is years ago. We were working with a Hispanic church there. The men and the boys were roofing the building. The girls were leading this Bible school. And at the end of the day, Casey comes up to me. She's like a sophomore, junior in high school, and she's just beaming. Her eyes are watering. And she says to me, because I wrote it down, I wanted to remember it. She said, Danny, I feel so important. I want to do this for the rest of my life. That's what she said to me. Do you know what Casey's job was? I want you to check this out. Do you know what her job on that mission trip was? She was assigned to walk kids through the streets from their house to the church. And after that, she was assigned, it's all she did, to hold children while other people taught the lesson. Now, that wasn't a big job, was it? But to her, it was being faithful in a few things. So you see, don't ever assume that what you have to offer doesn't count for much. Because Jesus can take five loaves and two fish and he can feed how many? Thousands. He can take two mites given by an impoverished widow and make it the lead gift of an entire building campaign. He can take a stuttering fugitive like Moses and defy a powerful dictator and his entire army. He can go from a bloodstained cross to an empty tomb. He can take 12 bumbling followers and he can create a community that has spread so big it's now invested and entrenched around the world all these thousands of years later. Friend, you have no idea what your potential is is because Jesus Christ is the Lord of the reward. So I think Jesus told this story, the parable of the talents, to wake up potential boat potatoes. He told it so that we would be spurred to stop burying it and setting on it and start stepping out of the boat because he's calling our name. So this morning, let's just finish this way. Hard questions. Are you a boat potato? Or are you a water walker? Are you taking advantage of the talents and the opportunities that God Almighty has given to you? Are you just okay with being passed by by the God who calls to you from the water? Do you want growth in Jesus 